0: Let's open our Bibles this evening to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, where we continue a biographical sketch of the life of one Lot, the nephew of the faithful Abraham. Genesis chapter 19. Let me read to you Genesis 18 and verse 19, simply to introduce. Our subject again this evening, God (laughs) purposed in his heart he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. They were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. He purposed in his heart he would destroy them, but he came and told Abraham what he was going to do because Abraham was a friend of God. And we read about Abraham and what God thought of him in verse 19 where God said, I know him, that he will command his children... And his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Oh, to have that testimony that God knows us, and he knows what we will do, that we will command our children and our household, whatever that might include, That they'll keep the way of the Lord to do justice and to do judgment. So that God may bring upon us the promises that he has held out for his saints. The promises God gave Abraham were based on the fact that God knew that Abraham was a faithful man. And Abraham fulfilled that confidence of God in him. But when we look at the life of his nephew, Lot, we see a different character. Lot was a just man, a righteous man, and a godly man. 2 Peter 2 tells us that. So we must say that. And we must look at the life of Lot with those spectacles on. And yet we can't ignore the fact that he was a weak man. He was a compromising man in distinction from Abraham, his uncle. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I beg thee in jesus name for your holy spirit to bless the few words that shall be uttered now that they will bear fruit in the lives of all that are here the life of the one speaking and the life of those hearing and all those that may ever hear this message o lord i ask it in jesus name for his honor and glory and the salvation of the saints here bless us to that end that this word might bear fruit through jesus christ our lord amen amen we looked at the beginning of lot the first chapter in the life of lot is the beginning when he chose to separate from the company of faithful abraham leave him leave the land of promise and choose the land of prosperity And we'll all face choices between promise and prosperity, things that God's promised and told us what conditions we ought to fulfill to find those promises, and prosperity. We ought not to make decisions based on sight. The Bible tells us Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of Jordan, that it was well watered and prosperous, even like the Garden of Eden. And so he separated from Abraham to have that prosperous place to live. That was the beginning, and we read that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now, now, Lot did not intend to live in Sodom. Initially, he just pitched his tent toward it. But when you choose to allow evil communications into your life, you have little control over the effect that they'll have in your life. And while Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom in Genesis 13... By the time we get to the next chapter, Genesis 14, where's Lot living? But in Sodom. A change has taken place, and that brought us to chapter 2 in the life of Lot. That was the seduction of Lot as he was seduced into the city of Sodom itself. And then, compromise will not only seduce you into going further than you ever intended, but it will trap you. And as we come to Genesis 19, we find Lot trapped there, even sitting in the gate of that city, which is where we left off this morning in Genesis 19, verses 1 through 3, where the two angels come to the city of Sodom and Eden, and they find Lot sitting in the gate of that city, the gate of a city being the place where the elders, the judges, those in authority and influence often sat and gave their advice. But we saw also in these first three verses that Lot still showed some righteous character in the hospitality he showed toward the two angels. He showed the same type of hospitality that Abraham showed the same angels in the first part of chapter 18. He entertained angels unawares and showed hospitality toward them, entertained them well, gave them a feast, provided water to wash their feet, said he'd help them be on their way early in the morning. That's before he knew who they were. They were angels God sent to deliver Lot from his trouble. But now I want to come to verses 4 through 7 of Genesis 19, where we open up chapter 5 of this life of Lot. and We call this the cover-up. Compromisers will cover up their compromising. Verse 4. They're eating a feast in Lot's house. Lot, his wife, two unmarried daughters, and two angels. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. And here in these four verses, we want to look at Lot's cover up for the wickedness of his city. But first of all, let's look at what takes place here before they can even get to bed after dinner. Remember, the angels arrived at evening time. They didn't come in the morning, they arrived at evening, but before it's even bedtime, the whole city's there. Known as the universal. <laughs> wickedness of this city as all the men young and old from every quarter are there assaulting the house of lot wanting to get to know these two good-looking men that arrived there in his company that's why I mentioned this morning the angels would have probably most likely have taken on some bodies that were attractive to these perverted beings called the men of Sodom and so they assault the house, notice their forwardness. They're not just secret sodomites. You know, we have some expression, I think closet gaze or something. Well, closet gaze, that's only for fear. You give them a little bit of liberty and there is no such thing. Sodomites have always been known for their violence and they'll show it as they have in our nation in most occasions. Right These weren't even closet in any sense. They're out there clamoring For Lot to bring out his guests. They're forward and it's universal in this city. They expect Lot to bring the men out. Notice the assumption in their request. Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. After all, Lot lived there. (gasps) Lot knew what they liked. Lot knew what they looked for. Why shouldn't they expect Lot to bring the men out? He lived there. He knew their preferences. He knew their ambitions and lusts and how desperate they were to fulfill them. And so they asked Lot to provide these men that were actually angels. This type of behavior here for your learning is very typical of sodomites because sodomites are exceedingly promiscuous. Don't let our media convince you there is such a thing as sodomitical Love relationships. They are promiscuous people. If you've ever read anything about this perversion, the number of contacts that anyone has is generally numbered in the hundreds. It's gross wickedness. They're not content with one or a few. That's a fact. The Bible teaches it, and so does experience. Lot privately tries to dissuade these men. Now, I find it in verse 6 interesting how carefully the Lord wants to tell us about the movement of a door. In verse 6, Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. Now, when a compromiser's got himself in trouble and he sees that trouble coming to a head, he's going to try to disguise it, try to cover it. So Lot's out there, and he's going to beg the men of his city not to do so toward the guests he has, and he wants to do it in private. I want you to see that from verse 6. That's why I call verses 4 through 7 the cover-up of this compromiser. Lot begs them not to do what he already knew by sight and sound they did. The Bible tells us, 2 Peter 2, I'll remind you again, day by day, Lot's soul was vexed with their righteous conduct as he saw it and as he heard it day by day. He knew what that city was about. But he goes out and begs them because he realizes he's in deep trouble. He's got two guests under his roof. The whole city wants them. And whether at this moment in time he knows they're angels yet or not, we are not told. But he is begging for his guests. He's trying to cover up. He does it in private without the angel. He doesn't bring the angels out there. He doesn't just open the door and holler out. The Bible wants you to know that he stepped outside the door and shut the door behind him in order to talk to this mob. Compromisers will generally try to hide and defend their compromise from others because compromisers generally have some type of excuse for their sin and for their compromise. The Bible says every way of a man is right in his own eyes. They've got their reasons. You ever ask one or you see one getting into trouble, they'll come up with their excuses as to why they did what they did. And you know those verses in the book of Proverbs. I hope none of you have forgotten them. That every way of a man is right in his own mind, in his own heart, but the Lord searcheth and pondereth the spirits right. of men. Right. They can give their excuses, but God knows the heart. But it's simply weakness and compromise rather than truly based on their excuses. You know, we've, we read about other men in Scripture like this who compromised and had excuses and who tried to cover. What, what did Aaron do? You know, Moses went up one time to receive ten commandments from God. While Moses was gone, Aaron constructed a golden calf, caused the people to strip naked, go into a dancing frenzy before this calf and worship it as the Lord, God, that had delivered them out of Egypt. Now that's that's what you call backsliding. When Moses came down from the mountain and confronted Aaron, what have you done to let the people do this? What did Aaron say? You know these people. We didn't know what had happened to you. They needed something to worship. They gave me their gold. I threw it into the fire and out came a calf. (laughs) Read it. Genesis chapter 32. He's got his answer. Every man has his answer. He had his answer for Moses when Moses came and confronted him. What about Saul when Samuel confronted him and said, What do I hear, Saul? Remember, God had told Saul to kill the Amalekites, man, woman, young and old, beast, everything that had breath. And Samuel came to meet Saul, and Saul said, I've done what the Lord commanded. And Samuel said, what's the bleeding of the sheep? What meaneth the bleeding of the sheep? And what would Saul say? I have preserved the best. The people wanted me to preserve the best for sacrifice. I haven't killed King Agag, and I haven't killed the best of the flocks. There's always an excuse. It's a cover-up for compromise. Do you know what Saul should have done in that moment? He should have fell to the feet of the man of God and grabbed his ankles and begged for mercy to the Holy God who is merciful to those that will repent. That's right. (coughs) God has never rejected a man who has come in true repentance. He should have right then taken drastic action to have repented of his folly before God, but instead an excuse. Look at it. Let us not be that way. Let us not have our answers or our reasons, but let us be drastic in our worship of God to follow him with our whole heart as we should, as Abraham does, as Lot does not. All the excuses and all the good motives and all the reasons in the world that you can give are nothing when compared to the word of the Lord. That's right. And the word of the Lord for Lot was that you're not to company with such evil men, nor give your daughters to be their wives, and so forth. And he had compromised, and here he is, hoping that it doesn't burst into flames right in his own home, where his own guests, whether he knew they were angels or not, would be violated by these perverts. I told you this morning, What's on that back table that was in my briefcase, I did not know that it was there. I'm preaching about Lot and his conflict with the Sodomites of of Sodom. And there in the back table is Bill McCartney and his conflict with the Sodomites of Boulder, Colorado. The Lord has His way. Let's come to verse 8. This is what we call chapter 6, the sacrifice. What's Lot willing to do? Behold now, After begging, in verse 7, see, you never have to beg if he wouldn't have been living there. If he'd have gone with Abraham, there wouldn't be any begging or fear of of what's about to happen. And now he's faced with, if my begging won't work, I better offer them something. Verse 8, Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. <clears throat> now we read this verse and to our minds, we cannot even comprehend in some ways how in the world a just, righteous, godly man could even have such a thought. But in order to put the best construction on Lot that I can, let me remind you of a couple things. It will not excuse what he did it will not justify the thought but consider these things the obligation of hospitality in that land and at that time was far greater than you or i even understand when you took someone under your roof you were bound by your life to defend them that's how serious it was Mm -hmm. a very similar event Very similar. How about the exact same event occurs in Judges 19. We're not going to take the time to go there. There's an old man living in the the city of Gibeah. A prophet of God comes to him. The the city of Gibeah in Benjamin was the same way that Sodom was in the land of Jordan. You can read it in Judges 19. The, The prophet of God is in there. Guess what? The whole city comes to the front door. Bring out the man that we can know him. And that old man that lived there that was a good man that the prophet was staying with did the very same thing did the very same thing. Now, I'm not looking at that and saying it's the right thing, and I'm not going to conclude that for for any reason. However, I want to put the best construction on this weak man on what reasoning he might have had to even offer such a sacrifice. Perhaps he valued the men that were inside more highly than the women. Listen, we don't have the mindset of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, a woman very willingly, cheerfully, would give her handmaid to her husband in order to have children by another woman. You can't understand that. It's hard to fathom. They thought differently. They were a whole lot closer to the truth than we are today. No matter how civilized you think your thoughts are. I'm not saying about what Job offered. I just want you to see a few factors that do bear on his case since the Bible tells us He was a just man and a righteous man and a godly man, yet he was weak and he's compromising. And I'll tell you exactly what's happening here. He's so scared he doesn't know what to do. He's so scared he does not know what to do. And so he's confused. All because compromise will always get you into that type of a situation. Compromise will bring to bear circumstances that you do not know how to handle. You'll be begging. You'll be offering things and making a sacrifice of things that you wouldn't otherwise have to if you had not compromised in the first place. Perhaps he was trying to substitute the natural with women for the unnatural with men. Perhaps he now knew that the men were angels and perceived that a violation of those angels would be worse than of his two daughters. I want you to remember Reuben. When Reuben went down into Egypt and took Benjamin, he told his father Jacob, If I don't return with Benjamin, you slay my two sons. They had a much higher standard of fidelity to an oath and a commitment like hospitality than we do. I want you to remember a girl named Tamar, that when her half-brother Amnon came in to violate her, she said, if you'll ask the king, I'll be your wife. Men were willing to sacrifice to do what was right and to preserve In every case, as much as they possibly could. But having said all that, the man has got himself in a mess. And he ought not to even have to choose between such alternatives. But it's because of compromise, he's now in a situation where if he knows there are angels inside... He knows he has now found out that he is living in the most wicked, perverse city on the planet. There's angels in there. What do I do? Remember, he shut the door. He didn't want them to know what was going on. The sacrifice. When you compromise, you are then faced with saying some awful things and doing further things to try to excuse what you've done. I'll remind you again of Aaron. Why did Aaron say something so foolish in Genesis 32? Because he had compromised and was found out. Why did King Saul say such a foolish thing we're going to offer them a sacrifice because he had compromised and was found out compromise and fear causing vexation of soul which that man had can lead to great confusion in leadership there's a leader who did not know what to do and offered something he ought not to have offered and was was choosing between two evils either these men get abused in my house that he, he may or may not have known they were angels or my daughters are abused It's all, I mean, which one do you choose? He wouldn't have had to choose between either of them if he had been faithful and strong and courageous and followed Abraham. Let's come to verse 9. There's more social studies in verses, (laughs) in verse 9, than you'll get in 10 hours of reading any modern source. That's right. You want some social studies? and they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Verses 9 through 11 or chapter 7 of the life of Lot. We call it the true colors. The true colors. When a man who compromises finally tries to take a little stand, he's going to find out how friendly and decent and loving and tolerable his neighbors were. How did Lot take his little stand? He said, I pray you, brethren... Do not so wickedly. Do not so wickedly. At least he said something back there in verse 7. But when you try to rebuke abominable perversions like this, you will bring upon yourself their true colors. These people in our society claim to be the most loving. Read. How they attack Bill McCartney. They accuse Bill McCartney of being a <laughs> hater of men, a hate monger. They claim to be the lovers. They claim to be the tolerable ones. We tolerate someone who wants to choose an alternative lifestyle. You say one thing about their perversion being perverse or one thing about a God that has absolute laws for the government of men And you will find out they are always the most intolerant, hate-filled beings on the planet. Lot lived among them. All he said was, I pray that you'll not do so wickedly. He offered them his two daughters. I mean, for whatever reason he did that, he offered them his two daughters. Do you know the reaction? Stand back. This one man came in here and now he thinks he's going to judge us? Those words are exactly what Bill McCartney is facing. Who does Bill McCartney think? Does he think he's our judge? I ask you, those of you who've read that, is that not precisely what's happening to Bill McCartney in Boulder, Colorado? All he said was that sodomy was an abomination to God. That's all he said. Could have said a whole lot more and been very scriptural. All he said was that it's an abomination to God. Read what they've said about him. Who does he think he is? Our judge? They're tolerant as long as you're pursuing some deviant lifestyle. That's right. You try to stand for righteousness and say one thing against them, they are the most intolerant of all people. Stand back. This fellow came into sojourn and he <coughs> will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. Whatever we had planned for those two men in your house, we're gonna deal worse with you. Now that's a rather quick exchange for a man that all he said was, Don't do so wickedly. Here have my two daughters. Put you on notice. A wise man will avoid rebuking these type of people. That's right. Somebody will say, Now wait a minute, you're commending Bill McCartney. Bill McCartney just made a statement in a press conference, that I don't think he fully thought through all the ramifications of it when he made it. He still stands by it. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9, Rebuke not a scorner, lest, thou, lest thou thee get to thyself a blot. There's wisdom in the Word of God. There's no prophet in rebuking them. They're not out to learn anything. They are set on their deviant behavior patterns and their deviant abuse of men they will follow. Rebuke, not a scorner, lest you get to yourself a blot. There's wisdom in that. Because these people are filled with hatred. Amen. You know, it'd be easy. It'd be easy to try to take a stand against sodomy in a city like ours, put ads in the newspaper and so on. It'd be, it'd be sort of entertaining and exciting and so on. But it'd be totally vain. It'd be unscriptural to do it in the light of the wisdom of God's Word. And all it would do is get the ire up of perverted human beings. <coughs> What an amazing verse about social studies. There are hours and hours spent on the personalities and the nature and the the environmental upbringing and the genetics of our modern sodomites. But here's a description of their character. Do all of you remember a very attractive woman who used to sell Florida orange juice Do you remember her name? Anita Bryant. Bryant. Was there ever a better example of American womanhood than Anita Bryant 15 to 20 years ago? Do you remember her? (laughs) They ruined that woman. All because she didn't want to send her children to a school where the teacher was a sodomite. They had to ruin her. I look at Bill McCartney and the hatred that comes out when a man like that takes a stand. They speak of human rights. Do you know what they mean by human rights? We can do anything we want, and no one has a right to tell us that we're doing anything wrong. They never give God's people the right to say anything from God's word, never. That's not included in their list of human rights. They told them to stand back. They called him a sojourner and ridiculed his opinion in his attempt to even call what they were about to do wickedness. And they threatened him with great bodily harm. What neighbors? What tolerant people? The angels put forth their hand and pulled out into the house and shut the door and smote the men that were at the door with blindness. Does it raise your curiosity about these characters they wearied themselves with blindness trying to find the door wouldn't you think that someone that a whole crowd that's just been struck blind might stop and, and whisper to the guy next to them wait a minute what's happened this is some great power that's just made all of us blind we better be careful in what we're doing let me give you another lesson in social studies AIDS is an equivalent to blindness that's come on those in our nation, has it slowed them down? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Because unless God changes their hearts, and He has changed their hearts, that's why they're sodomites. Romans chapter 1 tells us that sodomy is a direct judgment of God upon unthankful people who pervert the way of the Lord. They can't even see it. They just rush on in their lust for one another even with the blindness of AIDS in our nation. Let's come to verse 12. They wearied themselves to find the door. Verse 12, And the men said unto Lot, These are two angels, we know that, because verse 1 told us that. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. The inconsistency of a compromiser The inconsistency between Lot's life and between what Lot was now about to say meant nothing to his sons-in-law. We we might assume that there were three daughters of Lot that were married off to three sons-in-law because that would give the ten that Abraham requested for the salvation of the city, but we don't know that and it's not important. All we know that it's a plural number. He went to his sons-in-law. And he says to them, Up, let's get out of this place. The Lord's about to destroy the city. And he seemed to them as one telling a story, a joke, just mocking. They didn't believe that because of his life. A compromiser, a compromiser like Lot, who has not shown a fear of God, who has not ever made drastic changes before, who's never stood firm on things, but weakly gave in, to his impulses, to take the valley of Jordan, to pitch towards Sodom, to move into Sodom, to sit in the gate of Sodom, to allow his daughters to be married to them, a man who's done all those things, when he finally does speak up, guess what? Nobody believes him. They can't believe he could be serious. This guy's never shown us any concern before. He's always told us that he worshipped the God of Abraham and that he was sure God would take care of him in this place. We don't have to conclude that Lot never said anything about God, the God of Abraham. He just said that God must have allowed him to be there. So when he finally does say, the Lord will destroy this city, it just seemed like he was telling a story. He was just mocking. There was no seriousness in his words. It didn't mean anything to them. He had never shown any real conviction before. Real conviction requires drastic action. Real conviction doesn't get away with anything less. Real conviction is drastic action in Lot. We have no evidence of any drastic action. His life of compromise destroyed his words of truth. His life of compromise destroyed his words of truth. His children, his children-in-law, were just seared to anything he might say now because of his life. Let's come to verse 15. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth, and set him without the city. Verses 15 and 16, the obsession of Lot With Sodom. He's obsessed with the place. He can't leave it. He goes and tells his sons-in-law, up, let's get out of this place before the Lord destroys the city. But he himself isn't moving very quickly because he's obsessed with staying there. From the man who had followed Abraham all the way from Mesopotamia into Canaan, down into Egypt, back into Canaan, this man who had followed Abraham faithfully and then pitched his tent toward Sodom is now a man obsessed with the city of Sodom. It says in verse 15 that when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot. I hope that if you were there and the angels had told you what the angels told Lot, you'd be hastening them. Let's get out of this place. Like, let's not go to bed tonight. Let's get out of this place. Instead, the angels are hastening Lot, telling him, What he ought to do, lest he be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And verse 16 goes on further to tell us, And while he lingered, Don't always worry about Lot's wife looking back. You remember Lot. He was a weak man. He lingered. He's looking at his house. He's looking at his business. He's looking at his sons-in-law. He's looking at his reputation. He's looking at whatever was the idol in his heart for that place. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. That is supernatural intervention to save a man's life. That's right. But do you know what? We don't always have God around to take us by the hand and lead us out of trouble. That's right. In this case, God did it. And I'll tell you, God did not do it for lot. We'll read it. God did not do it for Lot. God did it for Abraham. That's right. Because he loved Abraham, and Abraham was a faithful man, and Abraham was concerned about his nephew Lot. God did it for Abraham. God being merciful to him, he jerked him out of that city and sent him outside the city. But he was obsessed with that place. He lingered, and the men had to drag him out of the city of Sodom, the Lord being merciful toward him. But we don't always have that luxury. That's why I say tonight if you know something in your life that God has said, arise and leave it, arise and leave it, God may not take you by the hand like a child and take you away from it. Because God will not deliver Lot. Before we even get through with this chapter, there'll be times where God does not come in and take Lot by the hand to deliver him. Let us not tempt the Lord by presuming upon mercy. Jesus said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Right. Don't ever think that you can engage in compromise and that God in mercy will deliver you from the consequences of it. That's presuming on the mercy of God, and that mercy will run out when men presume upon it. And I want to tell you this before we even open the chapter, the next chapter in the life of Lot. Lot saw this mercy. Lot felt this mercy as the angels took him by the hand and pulled him out of the city, and he presumed on it to his destruction. As we 'll see, I want you to notice though, the pitching of the tent toward Sodom has become an obsession. How by pitching the tent toward Sodom, be not deceived evil communications, corrupt, good manners That's right pitch them toward, <coughs> dwelt in, sat in the gate, now lingering in the face of a severe warning from a holy God that's about to burn the place up. Let's come to verse 17. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that He said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Is the Word of God plain? (coughs) Verse 17. Do we need to interpret this passage? Will the little weak lambs not be able to figure it out? This is the word of the Lord. It's simple and plain. But I want you to notice a compromiser, a weak man. Verse 18, Lot said unto them, "Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain... Lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. Which means, if you can read the context, it is a little one. The addiction. Chapter 10. The addiction of Lot. The addiction is not to Sodom now. That was the previous chapter. The obsession with Sodom. The addiction is addiction to compromise. Once you compromise, a process develops where you're willing to compromise over and over again. And only repentance and falling on your face can break the process and drastic action to reverse it. Compromise will lead to further compromise until you're addicted to it. He is told plainly the word of the Lord, escape and flee to the mountain. Don't look back. Immediately, the compromising, weak lot says, and I want to remind you, he was a just man. He was a righteous man. He was a godly man. We aren't preaching about the Sodomites of Sodom. We're preaching about the people of God, just, righteous, and godly men who are weak. They, God says something to them, and their reaction is, Oh, not so, my Lord. You've got to be kidding. That's too severe. That's too extreme. Behold. Now watch his reasoning. First of all, he modifies the word of God. What they were asking him to do was too drastic, too severe. So he modifies it. He compromises it. The second thing he does is he presumes on God's mercy. This is what I wanted you to see from the previous chapter. But we come here to verse 17. I mean, we come to verse 19. And Lot says, Behold, now... I have found grace in thy sight, and I was magnified thy mercy toward me. Do you think I could have a little bit more? You've shown me grace. You've shown me mercy. You've delivered me from the trouble I got into by living in Sodom. Now can you show me a little bit more so that I don't have to go to the mountain? He still rejects the drastic measures that God wants for his life. And he presumes on mercy. I made it through the last one. I have heard things like that so many times without using the very same words. People, and I, I listen, I, whatever it is in your life, your marriage, your business, your church life, your prayer life, your child training, your television, your things you read, whatever it is that's your Sodom, and you're pitching your tent toward it. I've heard people who've engaged in it, and because the results might not be too terrible, They presume on the grace of God that it wasn't all that big of a deal. And they can continue to compromise. Don't you ever measure what God wants you to do by the results you've gotten. Lot's results were that he was saved from Sodom. But that's by divine intervention. If you presume on that, God will cut it off. Because thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He presumes on it. You've shown me a lot of mercy now. Can I have a little bit more? Listen, I'm an old man. I don't want to go up in the mountains. Something might happen to me. That's severe. That's being too extreme. This is 1992. We don't have... You sound puritanical in some of the things that you're expecting me to do. Oh, I love this. Too drastic and severe. Listen, you've shown me some mercy. Can I have some more? I'd be safer in Zoar... After all, I'm an elderly man, and mountain life just isn't reasonable for me. Surely this little town's not too bad. It's just a little one. It's just a little one. Don't you like the way that that's repeated there in parentheses for us to realize that Lot's just pleading like a baby? He's just a little weak. Here's this little weak man just down begging. It's just a little one, and it's nearby. It's convenient. It's convenient. I want you to see all those ways of reasoning that Lot uses to modify the Word of God and compromise it. What did God say? See, I have accepted thee. You know what I want to say about our God? He is more merciful than we can understand. Amen. Look at that. See? But when we read those words... I want there to be fear in every soul that that doesn't last forever. See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also. He intended to overthrow Zoar. It was a city of the plain. Lot chose it. God didn't destroy it. For the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither. Do you know what the word thither means? I mean, when was the last time you used it in a sentence? Escape thither. Escape there. There. You asked for it, I'll let you escape there. Escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Now, the word of the Lord has changed. God, in mercy, has given Lot another lease on his compromising. The word of the Lord was, Go to the mountain. Lot said, Well, we just, all, we just went through that. Now, the word of the Lord is, Go to Zoar. Do you, you follow? The the word of the Lord is now go to Zoar. We come to verse 23. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. This is chapter 11 of the life of Lot. It's called the cost of compromise. What was the cost? This is the first stage of the cost. It is the loss of his wife. And she is a perpetual reminder to us of compromising the word of God and the terrible consequences that can follow. God said, don't look back. All she did was look back. I mean, that, that isn't worthy of being turned into a pillar of salt. I mean, when was the last time you saw anybody do something that was worthy of being turned into a pillar of salt? And Jesus would come along in Luke 17 and verse 32 in warning the Jews of his day about the destruction that was coming upon Jerusalem and telling them about how they ought to flee that city when they saw the arm- armies surrounding it. And he said, remember Lot's wife. Why did Lot's wife look back? Why not? Why not? Her husband always compromised. Why couldn't she a little? I mean, didn't her husband compromise in verse 14 by allowing their daughters to be married to the men of that city so that his, his words of truth were just a mockery? I mean, he'd compromised and gotten away with it and was delivered from the city. I mean, in verse 19, she had just heard him modify the word of God and be allowed to go into the city of Zoar instead of the mountain? I want to tell you, see, I have accepted thee in this thing. God said, and it's not printed here, see, I have not accepted thee in this thing. Lot's wife turned and looked back. God had said, don't look back. She compromised. God's mercy does not last forever in matters like this. The word of the Lord was, don't look back. She looked back. I want to say this. I told you this morning that I'm preaching primarily to the men of this congregation because God has set up the men to be the leaders of their women and their children. And it's by the example of Lot that cost his wife's life. You have a responsibility to be leading your wife by your example so that your example and the drastic measures you take to try to keep the way of the Lord puts fear in her soul that she wants to keep the way of the Lord as dearly as you do. Lot, by compromising, took away that fear. Lot didn't have any fear. He compromised the word of the Lord from the beginning when he pitched his tent towards Sodom all the way down to where he said, oh, can I have Zoar? And his wife turned and compromised the same way. But God had drawn the line and she turned into a pillar of salt. God's mercy doesn't last forever, we best not presume on it. It'll run out when we least suspect it. I mean, that woman really had good odds of being able to turn back and see what it looked like. When you think about it, I mean, look at all Lot had been through. Look at all the compromising he had done. Can't I just take a peek back? I mean, peek's not going to hurt anything. Isn't that a victimless crime? Listen, shouldn't we all vote libertarian? A victimless crime. Who got hurt? By Lot's wife looking back. Do all of you know what I mean when I say victimless crime? I used to vote Libertarian years ago because economically they're the soundest people running for office in our nation. But when it comes to moral issues, they're the most perverse because they ignore any moral absolutes. Victimless crime. I want you to think about it. What would she do to hurt anyone? I mean, after all, Lot had hurt their whole family. What was she going to do just by taking a peek? God's word would be violated. God had said, don't look. He may be merciful and allow you to get away with it once. He may allow you to compromise twice, but at some point he will draw a line and you'll be a pillar of salt. You lose. That's right. Don't play the game of compromise. Verse 27, Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld... And lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. Verses 27 through 29. This is chapter 12. The salvation of Lot was based on the righteousness and faithfulness of Abraham. But put yourself in Lot's soul. Put yourself in Lot's soul. Lot has gotten away with compromise. Will you please follow this? Lot's gotten away with compromise. He pitched his tent towards Sodom, moved into Sodom. Sodom was taken captive by a foreign army. He's rescued and brought back. He sits in the gate in Sodom. His daughters marry the men of Sodom. God delivers him by dragging him out of the city of Sodom. He asks for the city of Zoar. God says, I'll not destroy it. You can go live there. I'll change my word about going to the mountain. From Lot's perspective, inside Lot, look at how God's always taken care of me. I guess God doesn't really care all that much about me being too precise. As long as I'm close and as long as I've got some character left, God must be allowing me to make some of these little changes. I know I'm vexed in my soul over the things I'm seeing and hearing, but God's with me. From Lot's perspective, that's what he saw. Those blessings that came on Lot were for Abraham's faithfulness. Lot is being totally deceived as to the basis of his preservation so that he presumes on mercy, and he presumes on mercy again. And he presume, presumes on mercy again until the mercy runs out because the mercy was coming via Abraham. I want you to notice that in verse 29 it says, when God did destroy the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham. It doesn't say God remembered Lot. Right. God remembered Abraham yeah. and sent Lot out because of that remembrance of Abraham. <laughs> and I want you to notice here just a little, a little point. It says in verse 27 that Abraham got up in the morning and stood in the same place where he had talked to God and looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 27. And in that spot, he saw the cities burning up as a blast furnace. Have you ever seen a, I mean, a furnace, fast and furious, so you've seen the smoke go up in a furnace where all the flues are wide open and it's being fed air just as fast as it can burn it. You choke down a damper in a fireplace or something and the sparks go sideways back and forth. It's a confused fire because it's not getting enough oxygen, but a furnace. You've seen a bonfire out in your backyard or something where the the sparks are just flying skyward because of the great heat and the abundance of fuel and oxygen. That's what Abraham saw, just a furnace burning up over there. But he stood in the place where he had talked with God. And even though there weren't ten, brethren, and even though the city wasn't spared, look what happens to a faithful man. Can you... What did Lot deserve to go up in the city? That's right. He didn't even want to leave the place when he was told God's going to destroy it for its wickedness. He wanted to stay. They had to drag him out. He was saved because of Abraham. The salvation. Should Lot presume that God had more mercy for him after this point? Hmm. Should he have even presumed this far that God had mercy for him? The mercy was through Abraham. We come to verse 30. And Lot went up out of Zoar, and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. This is chapter 13. I call it the reaction. The reaction of a compromiser. Now what does he do? This is... What does a compromiser do? He's in deep trouble. He sees the judgment of God falling around him. He still takes things into his own hands and thinks he's going to preserve himself by going to the mountain now. But now, what is the word of the Lord? Stay in Zoar. Can I remind you of anybody else that reacted like this? What happened to Israel when Moses heard the report of the ten spies that said the land was too hard to take, and the two spies that said they could take it? Didn't God come down and tell Moses to tell the people of Israel, I have sworn against you, you will not enter into that land. You will wander in this wilderness for 40 years, and every one of you shall die. When they heard that judgment, what did they do? They girded on their swords. They went up to the top of a mountain and said, let's take the land. Where was Moses? He stayed in the camp. What happened to them? They were destroyed by the Canaanites and the Amalekites that fought them there. It was too late. King Saul, in trying to be a great king, compromised, compromised, and showed his zeal in the wrong area. Do you know where King Saul showed his zeal? Trying to be a good king? Instead of doing what God said, do you know what he did? Do you remember the people called the Gibeonites that Joshua had made a covenant with? When they came into the land of Canaan, the Gibeonites lived right there near Jericho. They put on old clothes, got some moldy bread, came to Joshua and said, We've traveled a great distance. Would you have mercy on us and make a covenant with our people that you not destroy us? Joshua said, Okay, we'll do that. And they lived right next door. They were people that God had said you better destroy. King Saul comes along 450 years later and the Gibeonites live among the Israelites. They're their wood bearers. I mean, Joshua didn't let them get away totally. He said, fine, I'll not kill you. You'll just bear wood for the Lord our God all the days of your life. What did King Saul do? He killed them all. But what had the leaders of Israel done? They'd made a covenant. Those men will not die. That's misguided zeal. That's a reaction against the fact that God was taking the kingdom away from him. That isn't how you get it back. You fall on your face and look for the word of the Lord to tell you what to do. Not take things into your own hand. Now Lot takes things into his own hand. Severe trouble has come. He has seen horrendous judgment destroy the cities of the plain. And instead of staying in Zoar where God told him to stay, he now runs for the mountain. What God originally said, now doing what God originally said, he rejects what God last said, if you can follow. That, And that's what compromisers will do. They're unsure of themselves. They're confused because they've compromised the Word of God so many times. Verses 31 through 35 describe a sordid case in Scripture of Lot's two daughters making him drunk on two consecutive nights and laying with him to preserve seed for their father. Now, I want to tell you something about this. And if you'll read it carefully and if you'll think these two daughters did not do this to consume something on base lust. Right. They did not do this for pleasure. They did this for, out of honor to their father, out of misguided zeal. They thought there was no longer any man in the land, or whatever that meant. Any man their father would let them marry, or whatever that meant. They didn't think there were any more men in the land. Lot was old. There weren't no sons. So they'd help him out, and they knew that he wouldn't voluntarily participate in such a thing, so they made him drunk. I'm putting the best construction out that can possibly be put on it. They didn't repeat the act. The Bible does not tell us about any repeating the act, and it tells us exactly what their motive was. I'm not justifying it. I'm not exonerating it. It was a terrible thing. But after all, can you expect them to see any clearer than the way they saw in that cave when their dad never saw things clearly? That's right. They had the mess of a vexed soul. Honor their father. Is there anyone left in the earth? We'll take it into our own hands and solve it. What had Lot done over and over? The land's prosperous. I'll take it into my own hands. I'll move in there. They had watched it for years. Brethren, we have all these little eyes, ears, minds, hearts, watching, listening, watching, listening. They come into this world with a blank slate, and they will face their adult lives making choices with what we've put on those slates. How drastic have we been to follow the Lord? How willing are we to cut off opportunity to please Him? How willing are we to sacrifice prosperity for promise? The willingness of wives and children to cooperate with compromise is seductive to fathers. Any good, strong father is going to be able to lead his family just about anywhere he wants. <clears throat> That's the nature of the beast. That's why you better thank your thank God if you've had good parents. That's right. Any strong man is going to lead his wife and children wherever he wants. Children do not come into this world with opinions formed strong enough to be able to resist a father. Wives, in their willingness to have a friendly, loving, peaceful relationship, will generally follow their husbands. It's a rare woman who will stand up and defeat a husband who wants to do something wrong. Do you know how many there are in the Word of God? Abigail, 1 Samuel 25 very difficult thing to do. So a father, when he's compromising, has all these enthusiastic followers generally. They'll rush right along behind him. Do you know what that does to a father who's compromising? Gives him a good feeling. His family's with him. His family's with him. I'm speaking to you plainly. His family's with him. The lack of resistance and rebuke by his children and his wife who are intimidated to do so to a true father make that little voice in his conscience that's vexing his soul to be not very loud and he's able to squash it the initial agreement that the family finds in fleshly pleasure whatever that might be is quite attractive do you know what as the family decides to compromise in some area they find immediate pleasure in it Moses tells us in Hebrews 11, the pleasures of sin for a season. The family finds immediate pleasure in it to some degree. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible for a child to stand up and resist their parents when the parents are compromising, but it's a hard thing to do. It's a rare thing that happens. And it's a rare thing for a wife to do that also. That's why I preach to fathers. That's why the Bible's emphasis is upon the men being leaders in their home. The effect that we have on our children may well occur at a level that they are not conscious of and later they will be compromisers themselves. Putting the best construction on the act of Lot's daughters in verses 31 through 35, putting the best construction on it we possibly can, they still lacked in faith. No, do you realize there's never confidence in God? Not one time in here, can God deliver us? Why didn't why wasn't Lot on his knees in Zoar asking for God to save him in that city? Why weren't the daughters trusting God to provide men or seed for their father in the cave? No trust in God. He had disappeared. The natural means is the thing to do. They reasoned from necessity. They were hopeless of the future just because Sodom was gone. We come to verses thirty six through thirty eight. That tells us, thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ammi, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. The Moabites and the Ammonites, two of the greatest enemies the people of God ever had. And do you know what they are called in Scripture. The children of Lot. The children of Lot. Do you know what memory there was left of Lot in this world? The Moabites and the Ammonites, called the children of Lot. What about a life? Let's contrast it just briefly. (coughs) Abraham, a faithful man, the land of promise, the son of promise, the children of Israel. Did he have a numerous seed? Amen. God blessed him abundantly. Wealth, promises, heaven. Did he see Jesus Christ even in the Old Testament? Indeed, what did Lot get? The Bible leaves (laughs) Lot right there. You can think in your minds that he went to some revival service after this and found true repentance at the throne of God, but the Bible does not tell us that and we're not going to preach that. We're going to leave Lot right there because it's possible for just, righteous, and godly men to make a ruin of their lives by compromise, and to their memory, if it were not for the grace of God in telling us at least legally and vitally and in some way, Lot was a righteous and just man. In Second Peter chapter 2, that man was forever a reproach upon Israel. Those nations, every time they went into conflict, guess what they were called? The children of Lot. The children of Lot, a constant thorn in the sight of God's people, the ruin the loss of a wife, the loss of his daughters, if you if you want to call that a loss, the ruin of his progeny, the loss of his sons-in-law and his other daughters, and ignominy in Scripture. How did it start, brethren? He chose to leave Abraham and pitch his tent toward Sodom. Do you know why I've preached this today? I've preached on devil the devil and Satan the last couple of weeks. While he is bound from deceiving the nations, he is not bound from deceiving you and deceiving me. Right. Be sober, be vigilant. The devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. I hope everyone in here is prepared to make some drastic stands for truth morality, righteousness, godliness, the word of God in their families. Anything less than drastic. This is a compromising age we live in. Right. As long as you're sincere and you're a good neighbor, you water your grass and you don't kick your dog, as long as you do those things, you know, everybody thinks you're just wonderful, no matter how you worship God. That is not the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord very precisely defines how we are to live, and we better stand for that, for a lot will be our case. Lot will be our lot in this life. Let's choose the life of Abraham, whom God said, this man I know him. He will command his children his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. We're young. We're a young congregation. Our children are growing. They are going to face us down. They're going to try to face us down. They're going to face us. Where will we stand? Will we be Abraham's? Will we be Lot's? May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.